I think most of us from time to time find ourselves stuck or wound up or caught in some deep kind of fixation or stress or worry or agitation. And usually it's when we're absorbed in in uh, the concern about what's next. It usually means that to some degree we've entered the house of time in our mind or we've or we're caught up in a version of ourselves in our mind that, that uh, through innocent circumstances has become the, uh, at least to our immediate understanding, it becomes the authority about who we are. And it's often saying you're not enough or you're bad or either if we're not bad, someone else is bad. And so our mind gets quite fixated. And then all of a sudden, there is a cessation. The dust settles, the clouds, the clouds of confusion part, and all of a sudden the, the light shines through again, and there's a, a palpable sense of there being a cessation, a falling away of whatever what was binding and stressful and Although, in most cases, nothing in our outer situation has changed. Nothing has changed except the, whatever the torment of our mind has passed. And all of a sudden, the, the light is there again. And often, that comes with a sense of deep peace and ease, even a moment's sense of contentment. And these moments are really beautiful. Is there anyone that's ever never had one of those moments where things just passed? Well, you could call this a moment like this, you could call it grace, because you can't make it happen when the, whatever storm passes. But it seems, there's a paradox, that... People who meditate, so you could say it's grace, it's an accident, it just happens, but it seems those who practice tend to be more accident-prone, tend to not just have this experience, but also are able to appreciate it, are able to, um, more often than not, dwell in it, and in some cases, if it's, if it's something that you have given value to, and when I say given value to, that means giving value to there being just moments of simplicity. I was telling someone today, I don't know if that person is here, that I have, um, that I I was characterizing myself. I said that I am boring. I'm really boring. And I've, I'm taking boring to a new art form. Because I really value not much going on. And 
many of my many of my friends that over the years they like to go out and do all kinds of things and it's not that I don't like different experiences but often I feel very quiet very content very simple and in my mind my thoughts are why mess with perfection and so by all appearances I'm boring I'm really a dullard by all appearances. But inwardly, I'm enjoying that simple light of presence that is so precious and so easily missed while, while I'm planning my next great experience. Part of my inspiration for talking about this today is is how much, how much of this boring, how much of this, I don't want, we don't need to keep using that word, but how much of this simplicity is lost in our life in various ways. I came across this quote from the Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama, when asked what surprised him most about humanity, he answered, man. Because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health, and then he's so anxious about the future that he did not, does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and then he dies having never really lived. So our life, for so many reasons now, I think all because of an innocent attempt to find relief where, where things have gotten disturbed, but our life is pervaded by the non-present, by the, the need for stimulation. To me, I, I would interchange, uh, sacrifice health in order to have experiences, to make money, to to become somebody, it just so much of our life is pervaded by running uh, uh, away from this moment by, and running after things. It would be wonderful if we did all those things, all the things, all the enjoyment, and we actually enjoyed the process, enjoyed the unfolding present. But our mind becomes so fixated. And when it's fixated on something painful, it's, our bodies go into complete crash. Even when they're fixated on something pleasant, even though there is some pleasant feeling associated with the craving for, for pleasure, otherwise we wouldn't keep doing it unless there was pleasant feeling, that also has a physiological cost and has the cost of, uh, the, the cost of obscuring this great uh, simplicity, this great light, this great completeness that arises when there is a cessation, when there is, in fact, when it is, when we get what we want, there's often the cessation. There's, we no longer want what we, what we wanted. And we think that it's actually the object or the experience that gave us that feeling of cessation. But what really gives that feeling of, what really gives the feeling of tremendous relief is the absence of that state of craving and the presence of a state of wholeness.
because what is left, what what is always available, is that state of wholeness, that state of mindful presence, that state of wakefulness that has nothing to do with acquisition, has nothing to do with getting anywhere, has everything to do with the innermost nature, your innermost nature, your ever-present nature, the, uh, the light of your own consciousness, you could say. I was asked to share, perhaps share, this uh, quote that I've offered a lot from a teacher named Nisargadatta. I was asked to maybe share it tonight. And so it seems like this might be a good time. It reminds us that uh, we may be, our tendency is to look for light and love in all the wrong places when really it, uh, is exi- it exists as the very nature of your own heart and mind, right as you sit here. Nisargadatta put it this way, when, you, when your mind is kept away or free of its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. And if you don't disturb that quiet and you stay in it, you will discover that it is permeated with a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. Once you've tasted this experience, you'll never be the same person again. The unruly mind will break that peace and obliterate that vision, but it's bound to return if the effort is sustained until all bonds are broken, grasping and attachment ends, and life becomes supremely concentrated in the present. Boring. No, I just added that. We become ourselves again. We become ourselves, not the idea of ourselves, not the one we hope we will be, we could be, should be, not the future that may be, may not be, not the past that's already gone, but just the natural happiness of conscious being. How can you improve on this? But yet, our life has become pervaded by the the non-present. So Rumi says, as a poem that I often share here called Inside This New Love, he says, inside this new love, die. Your way begins on the other side. Become the sky. Take an axe to that prison wall. Escape. Walk out like someone suddenly born into color. Do it now. You're covered with thick cloud. Slide out the side and die. And be quiet. Quietness is the surest sign that you've died. Your old life was a frantic running from silence. The speechless full moon comes out now. And the German poet Rilke, we are the driving ones. Ah, but the step of time. Think of it as a dream in, for, in what forever remains. All that is hurrying will soon be over with. Only what lasts can bring us to the truth.
Young men, don't put your trust in the trials of flight, into the hot and quick. All things already rest. Darkness and morning light, flower and book. And just, if you want to put in more of the terms of just be yourself, don't try to, don't be so busy trying to manufacture the great you in the sky or even the terrible you that needs fixing. In the words of, of um, not Wendell Berry, um, Mary Oliver in her poem, Wild Geese, you don't have to be good. You don't have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I'll tell you about mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers, Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world's, world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like a wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. How can we find our place in the family of things if we are continually running away from this moment by running after things, places, experiences? First things first, find yourself, find your true home, find that sense of freedom. Yogi Berra says, you've got to be careful if you don't know where you're going, because you might not get there. (laughs) He says, if you don't know where you're going, you will wind up somewhere else. (laughs) So the Buddha made it very clear that there, for all of us, there are, there are stresses. There, it's hard. It's hard to, even though we can glimpse this sense of, of pure light, this openness, this light and love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. Even though that is true, that is your fundamental nature, if you're here, And if you have consciousness, if you were born, if you have any notion of having been born, you will be subject to all kinds of stresses. But what feeds the stress, what increases it, and especially increases the mental stress, he went on to say, is this deep wish of wanting things to be other than they are that creates a lot of mental turmoil, creates a process in our mind of continual, um, as a way of dealing with the basic stresses, rather than deal with them, rather than open to them, rather than understanding the universality 
of sickness, old age, death, frustrated desire, wounded pride, all the problems that we have, all the problems with survival. It's hard to be here with all the problems. But it's tr- it, ultimately, it's much harder to try to escape from the problems, to try to get away f- from what's true rather than to welcome, to open to, to relax into somehow coming to terms with whatever stresses you have. Every time that I'm super stressed, my default reaction, just admittedly, is to think of what I can, how I can distract myself or what I can buy, where I can go, the next holiday, whatever it might be. And every time, if I catch myself, whatever that is, I just stop for a moment, check in, notice that I'm really unsettled, I feel the unsettledness, I feel how hard it is, stay there for a while. Unsettledness cannot, it it can't withstand that much light, that much attention, and it begins to fade, or it doesn't fade, but because I'm, I'm there with my attention, because I'm my life, at least that moment, is pervaded by the presentness instead of unpresentness. Whatever it is that I'm experiencing is much more workable. But if I try to escape, just like that statistic that people who daydream, that we daydream 46.9% of the time, even though we do it in order to make our stresses more easy to bear, it turns out that the net effect of doing that is it makes things actually our daydreaming about better times and better situations just makes the ones we're having that much harder. And so when I stop and my mind and body and my presence is pervaded more by presence, it may, it's a little rattling to feel uncomfortable, but it's workable. And usually whatever the... Whatever has been in my mind, it kind of melts away, and I'm home again. And whether it doesn't melt away, I'm home again. Because I haven't put my trust in situations or, the, or in changing a situation. Sometimes it's necessary, but I put my trust in awareness. I put my trust in the, the Buddha. The Buddha is that in me which is awake. And when I take refuge in the Buddha, refuge in wakefulness... Everything is much more workable. If I take refuge in things being the way they should be, could be, would be, I'm in a state of, of anxiety and dis-ease, uncertainty, and that just continues to increase, adds stress, adds stress to the already inherent stressfulness of just dealing with life. All that we have to deal with, getting up, shopping, cooking, cleaning, working. And if you're exposed to media or, as I am, exposed to people's intimate heart issues, we are a mess. I don't mean to say anybody here individually is a mess. I mean, we as a people are a mess. We are we are struggling. Our bodies, just like the Dalai Lama says, our bodies are breaking down. Our minds are in a constant state of turmoil. 
We live in a, in a sea, in a legacy of, of greed, hatred, and ignorance. We internalized it completely through no fault of our own, and then we're just perpetuating it every time we support the consumer machine that needs to keep us greedy to keep going, and you know, the whole thing goes, and we're, we're a mess. Does this make sense or no? Does this resonate with you? I don't have my glasses on, so I can't see anyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Consumer is used in, in, in behavioral health care. The consumer are the people who are using the services. Interesting. Consumer. So what the Buddha said, and this is what, the reason I'm not talking about, I don't want to just end with how, how what a mess we are. <laughs> the Buddha didn't stop there. He says, things are messy. We make it messier because we want so desperately for it to be different out of love for ourselves, but it, we choose all the methods imaginable that actually keep us farther away from the truth. As Sogi Rinpoche says, keeps truth even hard to believe it exists, and all this in a society that promises to make people happy, but actually dis, uh, deprives us of the source of real joy, which is our own nature. And so the Buddha said, with the first truth of suffering, open to it. Don't run from it. The second truth, this constant demand for what's next better, the non-boring let it go. Let go. Do everything you possibly can with a heart that is in the, that's letting go. Let go, let go, let go. Let go, let go. I think this is a good time to bring in Ajahn Sumedho. He says, The practice of letting go is very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking and becoming, I'll add. You simplify your practice down to two words, letting go. Rather than try to develop this practice, develop that and achieve this and go into that and understand this and read the sutras and the Abhidharma and the Pali and Sanskrit and the Majamaka, Prajnaparamita, get ordinations in the Hinayana, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana, write books and become a world-renowned authority on Buddhism, because that's how it manifests in Dharma practice. People bring their same ambitions. He says, instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, let go, let go, let go. He says, I did nothing but this for about two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure things out, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. So I'm making it very simple for you to, to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. <laughs> Some of you might have the desire to become the Buddha of the age, Maitreya radiating love throughout the world, but instead I suggest just being an earthworm, letting go of the desire to radiate love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows only two words, let go, let go, let go. You see ours as the lesser vehicle, the Hinayana. That's the Theravada tradition. Uh, 
the pejorative version of the Theravada. So we have only these simple poverty-stricken practices. Or you could say boring practices. It's not very exciting, is it? Let go, let go. But it's the secret. It's the open secret. Let be as is. Stop for a moment. Keep quiet. Look within. You will discover that your heart and mind is filled with a light and a love you've never known, yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. Easily over, overshot. So he said, abandon this cause, let go. He didn't stop there. Great prescription. But he went on to say, there is a cessation. There's an end to this suffering. And his prescription for the end of this mental suffering to deal with our stress, the end of it must be, or freedom, realization, nirvana, this must be realized. Realize that momentary nirvana. Realize that cessation of stress in the moment your mind lets go of grasping. In the moment, just one moment in the span of life where you don't want to be somewhere else. Where your mind is not looking ahead, nor is it looking back, nor is it looking sideways. It's not looking. It's looking at itself. You're resting in your own immediacy, the light of your own attention. So how does this cessation, how does practice make this cessation, this letting go, how does it make it, uh, even if it's an accident, this grace, how does it make us more accident-prone? By developing the habit of meeting our experience with mindful attention. Because in that moment of mindful attention, there is the inherent in a moment of mindful attention, there is no grasping. There is no becoming. There is no you. There is no you, the bad person. There's no you, the great person. There's just you as you are. Just not so busy trying to be special, trying to figure it out. You're just being special because that, that's your nature is to be special. Each person individually, a perfect expression of life. Not one person here. Who's other than that? So our mindful attention also has to be toward that virtual version that plays through our mind that's telling us something else. You've got to become wise to the distorted views of yourself. What the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, the personality view. The personality view is always got a problem here and on your way somewhere else. That's the nature of the personality view. It's all based on time. It's based, and so it becomes, it's all about driving, driving. 
It's all about moving. It's not about cessation. It's not about stillness. It's not about boring. The Dharma is about boring. <laughs> not really. <laughs> the Dharma is that boring is incredibly exciting. Just talking about this tonight, I'm excited. I'm feeling excited. Because at least for a little more time today, I'm not caught in my imagination. I'm not caught in my situation. My situation hasn't gone away. All the 80, as the, that one story goes, all the 83 problems haven't gone away. But at least for this moment, I'm free of the 84th problem, that I shouldn't have any problems. I'm free of the other problem, that, that I'm the only one with the problems. I'm free of thinking about myself as having problems. Just here. And I may be uncomfortable. You could be uncomfortable. But still, being uncomfortable is just being uncomfortable. So the, the, the Dharma asks us to learn how to be uncomfortable and know that that's a changing condition, to be comfortable and know that's a changing condition, to not land anywhere, not to expect any particular experience, but to find our peace with things just the way they are, whatever they might be. Easy to talk about, it's another to navigate, and that's why we practice, to make us more uh, accident-prone, more uh, have our life more grace-filled, um, because that's our birthright, that's our nature, is grace, it's love, it's presence. Because all I have to do, it's so obvious, all I have to do is ask you not to think about yourself for a moment, not look ahead and not look back, and almost immediately, what dawns is a sense of quiet, peace, wholeness, ease, freedom, enough. It, we did nothing but suspend our distorted views of reality for one moment. And peace is there, open, inviting, and comfortable. What we do in our practice is we just try to actualize that every moment. Just be here. And in fact, it makes dealing with stress and all the going to work, it makes everything a little bit more easy to bear. Daydreaming just hasn't really helped. But it's not to deny that there's not a lot of pleasure in daydreaming, not a lot of pleasure. In, there's pleasure in planning. There's pleasure in doing everything. And you don't have to give up any of that pleasure, but you have to understand that it's whatever that pleasure is, and I think we talked about this last week, whatever the pleasure is that you get from things, just know whether it's the kind of pleasure, if, if you think that that's going to bring you lasting happiness, don't be confused by that. Don't, as the Buddha said, have misplaced faith in the pleasures of the world. Enjoy them, but let them go. Don't spend your whole life looking for the next pleasure, the next thing. Otherwise, you'll be... You'll be unhappy, You'll, especially as a meditator. If you think meditation's about having some kind of special experience, you'll be unhappy here, too. <laughs> but if you, think that it's, if you think it's about learning how to 
enjoy pleasurable experiences and also work skillfully with the inevitable unpleasant ones, then you're on to something, maybe useful. Again, don't believe what I say. It's just a good idea to, to get real, to remember that, that we're all... Um, that there's stress and stop fighting it so much. We all die. Stop fighting that too. Stop pretending. This is a very hard-hitting poem from Jennifer Wellwood. She says, My friends, let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice. Look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Let's grieve our losses fully, like human ripe beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed, as though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is is life's only promise to us, and she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child she seems cruel, but she is only wild, and her compassion exquisitely precise, brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Let's sit quietly in the joy of hopelessness. I don't mean hopeless. Once more from the Dalai Lama. When asked what surprised him most about humanity, answered, Man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and then dies never, having never really lived. So may all beings live, live. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. And may our practice tonight and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings so that all beings can find happiness, peace, safety and protection, health and strength, that all beings can live with ease and a sense of well-being. May all beings be free.
Thanks for listening. Um, Just a reminder of our room rental. Room rental Donna, uh, the support for us being able to sit here, it's all up to you. Costs us $150 a week, so any support is deeply appreciated and can be given in the form of cash or PayPal or check. If you write a check out to the church, St. John the Evangelist Episcopal Church, you can uh, put Mission Dharma on the memo line. It can be tax deductible. And so thanks for that, Donna. And then anybody who offers teachings here offers them freely as our practice of generosity. And in the tradition that goes back 2,500 years of giving and receiving, the, those who receive are given the opportunity to practice their giving freely in the form of support. So thanks in advance for any generosity that comes my way or whoever sits here. And uh, that's, I think, what keeps the wheel going. It's kept it going 2,500 years. Teachings offered freely uh, because they are priceless and you can't put a price on them. And so they're accessible to anyone. But they need uh, support as well. Thank you. Oh, just one more, one quick announcement as you're leaving. I just want to remind everyone: I have a couple retreats coming up. For anybody who would like a, a two relatively short length retreats, Tuesday the 13th of December to the 18th to. Uh, to Sunday the 18th uh, is a five-day retreat I'll be doing with, along with, uh, with Mary Grace Orr. And we've been doing it for many years, and it's a great time of year right before Christmas to, uh, to deal with the Christmas spirit. <coughs> and then I'll also be doing a retreat in mid-January, an essential Dharma retreat, along with uh, Sharda Rogel and Anna Douglas, two teachers who I started who were part of the, we, we were in the first, a group of teachers at Spirit Rock back in the 80s. So we'll be together, and that's another five-day retreat, January 17th. So please uh, think about a residential retreat. Love to have you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.